You're listening to Sorry, What Was the Question with me, Alex Campbell. I'm a therapist, coach and educator. I also have ADHD. In fact, I was one of the first in the UK to be diagnosed. My experience having ADHD is complex, confusing and often hilarious. It can also be quite isolating. That's why I created this podcast, to chat with other people with ADHD along with their family, friends and colleagues. So join us. I hope that together we'll feel less isolated, better understood and more connected. Hello and welcome to episode one of Sorry, What Was the Question? If you've not listened to the prequel or I guess episode zero of this podcast, I'd recommend flipping back and giving it a listen. It provides a little background to the beginnings of the podcast and why I created this in the first place. If you have listened, then stick around for this very first episode of the show. You know, problems getting motivated to do the really difficult stuff, procrastinating about stuff, overthinking, perfectionism, the whole works. The way I see it is that my strategies were about creating order to deal with the chaos that was going on in my head. That was Sarah Bickers, my guest on today's episode. She's a professional organiser. She was one of six children growing up in a rather chaotic and messy home life. As a result, she was always drawn towards order and a simpler life. Her first career role was as a physiotherapist specialising in neurology, always interested in how the brain works. After being a full-time carer of three children, she became a professional organiser and now works mainly within the ADHD community, also training other organisers to be more ADHD friendly. Before we begin, I'd just like to add that this interview was my first and it didn't quite go how I'd planned. It went better. Sarah is an inspiration and her journey is so encouraging. It just gets richer when we invite in her fellow organising colleague, Caroline Rogers, who also happens to be a positive psychology researcher and coach. Anyway, enough from me. Enjoy the interview. Welcome, Sarah, to the podcast. It's great to have you on. Thanks very much for inviting me. Well, let's deep dive. Otherwise, we'll probably go off on a tangent. Um, (laughs) It would be really good just to hear from you a little bit about what it was like for you um, before you were diagnosed, life before diagnosis. I often look back at my time before diagnosis as being a kind of journey of discovery and gradually understanding myself and getting to know myself more. I think life before diagnosis, by the time I was diagnosed... The diagnosis itself obviously wasn't a surprise to me because I'd been thinking about it for a few years. Uh, My sons had been diagnosed, uh, when was it, 2014, one of them was diagnosed, and I think the other one about three years later. So I was familiar with the signs and symptoms, recognised that I had all of them, and um, for quite a while... I felt like, oh, I can't have ADHD because I'm a professional organiser and therefore, you know, I'm obviously managing too well, I'm running a business, I'm managing too well, I'm coping too well. And then um, what happened next was that the menopause hit and in common with many women, um, I started to really struggle. Um, Things My working memory has always been one of my biggest challenges. And I remember that even from when I was at school, um, it really impacted how I learned stuff. And um, what happened was when the menopause hit, my working memory got even worse and it was already pretty bad. So I kind of reached the point that I was like, I've got to do something about this. And and actually, I found out around that time that um, what happens with the menopause is your estrogen levels drop. And when your estrogen levels drop, your dopamine function also goes down. 
So like for many women, that affects them uh, premenstrually or postmenopausally, and they can be at their peak during pregnancy when your levels are high. So it kind of all made sense, but that was the trigger for me to actually get um, an asset to go to my GP and I'll ask for an assessment. Can you say just a bit more about the impact of the menopause on your ADA? Obviously, you weren't diagnosed then, but that's kind of obviously that like you've just highlighted. There's quite a difference between men and women here, and how that impacted on that process for you. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, one of the biggest things for me with the menopause was obviously, and this is quite a common symptom, that people are getting hot flushes during the night and that's waking you up and disturbing your sleep. So obviously that doesn't help either with your executive function if you're not sleeping well. And I've always needed my sleep. If I don't get enough sleep, I'm not much fun to be around. Um, And I just realised I can't... It's like I felt like I was on the edge of coping and I developed loads of really good strategies that worked for me but I knew that I couldn't really afford to tip over that edge and that's what I felt like menopause was starting to do so I went to my GP and said please can you put me on HRT and refer me for an Mm. ADHD assessment that was the you know two in one Uh, and what was that process like for you going to your GP Um, there's two things there, significant things going on for you at the time. One of the things about ADHD is when we hyper-focus, we can really hyper-focus. So I'd done a bit of homework. Mm. I knew my stuff about ADHD. I was already working with quite a lot of clients with ADHD. So I knew the process of diagnosis. I knew everything that was going to happen. Um, I also had educated myself about the menopause as well. So I basically went to the GP and said, this is the treatment I'd like to have. Um, This is the referral I'd like you to make. And her, actually her reaction to it was, oh, no, I think that's just for children, talking about obviously not the menopause, but ADHD. She was like, no, no, I think they they don't do that for adults. And I was like, yes, actually they do. Please, can you refer me to the Maudsley where they've got an ADHD adult clinic? Um, so, you know, to her credit, she just got on and did it. Um, how, how was that for you, by the way? Because, you know, there's so many people who are currently on waiting lists and it's quite daunting for a lot of people when they, A, when they realise that potentially they might have a diagnosis, but, and now they take that step to go and speak mm-hmm. to a GP and then they're met with either opposition or it might be something else or sometimes it can not be such a positive experience. So... How did that impact you? Well, you know, to be honest, I just felt like, okay, this is my my moment to advocate for all those people out there who aren't as educated and haven't learned all of this stuff. Actually, GPs need to know more. One of the things that was different was that I went for my um, referral, I think it was 2019, and I had to wait 15 months on the waiting list. By the time I was actually seen, I'd learned about the right to choose legislation that's out there, which means that people can get an earlier referral if they're referred to an online provider. Because actually, I have to say the wait was the hardest time for me. I would say the hardest time in my whole life where you've kind of identified what you think the problem is. You think that you're going to get this assessment and diagnosis, but you're not sure, you know, and then you start to struggle with imposter syndrome. You think, well, maybe I am coping too well. You know, maybe they'll say, oh no, why are you making such a fuss? All of those thoughts were going through my head. And also, and I think this is quite common for many people waiting for their assessment, you start to feel like you have to build up a case. 
So I started making notes every time I thought of something that I struggled with. I had this um, document on my computer and I just add bits. So by the time I got to the assessment, I had like pages of information about how my ADHD affected me. And obviously that was like 15 months of concentrating on impairment, essentially. And I think the rest of my life had been about focusing on using my strengths and working towards my strengths. And I would say that's the reason that I coped with my ADHD as well as I did. Whereas waiting for the ADHD assessment, I was completely focusing on impairment. And that was quite difficult, actually. It was quite difficult to, be, to live with that. Can you just describe a bit how that was difficult for you? I think that focus on impairment was shifted me into a kind of slightly more negative place um Mm. and it's like I couldn't move on until I had that assessment and diagnosis I felt like I was stuck at a certain point stuck in limbo almost it's a really common feature with ADHD when I speak to other people that period of waiting is excruciating and you know we're not the most patient people (laughs) at the best of times So it's like knowing that you're going to have to wait and and not knowing how long you're going to have to wait as well is really difficult because I can remember thinking if I keep chasing them up too often, they're going to think I can't have ADHD because I'm being too efficient in chasing this up. So that's like a a classic example of am I too organised to to have ADHD? There's a bit of a theme here that that is something that I know impacts me and others with ADHD, which is around... You know, if you have really good coping strategies that somehow but it can be quite hard to almost justify that you have ADHD mm. because uh, you seem to be seemingly on the surface fine. Mm. Um, sometimes what's underneath the coping can be quite challenging, can be quite difficult. And I know there's a term that people sometimes use this term masking. And I was wondering for you if they also your coping strategies were also challenging to put in placing that time, if there was more awareness of masking or more awareness of what was going on. Um, while she were waiting for that diagnosis? I do know that when I got the assessment, I had the final appointment with the psychiatrist. It was quite an emotional time. And and I think a big part of that, actually, and I'm probably going to get a bit tearful when I mm. <laughs> talk about this, um, was I mean, the first question he asked me was, I noticed that you're a professional organiser and you work with ADHD. I mean, I kind of knew that I was going to have to tackle that. But what was really great about it was that he came with from a position of curiosity really rather than judgment and Mm. um I think I felt like he really knew how much coping and masking often goes into being a woman with ADHD so (sighs) take a breath (laughs) so uh, I think what I felt after the diagnosis was this sense of huge relief but also I can rest now Um, And I think for women, quite often, because we're so pro-social, because we're working hard to fit into society, um, we do often do quite a lot of work to behind the scenes to make sure we're coping, to make sure we're on top of the birthdays or, you know, all the organising that needs to happen, because there's a kind of expectation of all of that stuff. And for me, there was a kind of sense of recognition, first of all, from somebody external who's experienced saying, yes, I know that comes at a cost. Um, And a kind of sense of, thank goodness. Um, And that's very much how I felt. And actually, Mm. 
going on to um, having treatment for my ADHD felt like that too. It felt like, oh, I can rest now. I don't have to work so hard to do all this stuff because the medication is actually treating some of this stuff and making it easier. So the medication for you was a positive experience. Can you describe also titration? Because for some people, they might not know what that is. Yeah. And that, that's a really key part of of the ADHD journey, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I was diagnosed during um, the first lockdown. I actually had a nurse practitioner doing my titration. So uh, the way it worked was she put me on a low dose of um, medication to start off with and gradually increased the levels. Um, And we tried a couple of different medications. I went back to the original one in the end. Um, We tweaked it. The whole process probably took about I think it was August till about March, I think it was. So it was about six months of titration, which is not uncommon. Even taking the first dose, I can remember this kind of feeling when the meds uh, kicked in, which was, I think, about three quarters of an hour, of feeling like I could see more clearly, um, which is a really weird thing to say, but it felt like... You know, when you've, you know, you're a bit short sighted and you put on a pair of glasses and you're like, oh, everything seems a bit sharper. Everything seems a bit cleaner and more, Mm. you know, the color seems brighter. And it was almost like that. But in terms of my focus is the best way of describing it. Still felt like me uh, and, and actually coming towards the right level of titration. So finding the right medication to me, for me, I would say... I feel like the best version of me. I wanted us just to return to something you said at the beginning, which is obviously before you were diagnosed, you know, you had this successful career, Mm. uh, you had this organising and decluttering business. Um, For the listeners who who have ADHD, who expect that, they might be thinking, huh, uh, how have you had a successful (laughs) business organising and decluttering and you have ADHD? I'd love to know a bit more about that. Yeah, sure. I think it's really interesting because before I became a professional organiser, the reason I didn't for a number of years was because I thought I'm not perfect enough. I'm not good enough. I drop a few balls. Um, so like the, in the first year after um, I set up my business, twice I went away on holiday, leaving my suitcase perfectly packed on my bed. Not just once, but twice. <laughs> and um, so joining the professional organising community was felt quite daunting for me because I was aware of the fact that I wasn't perfectly organised. And I think my organising strategies had been developed over years of dealing with a short term, with a working memory um, that was basically not very efficient and with, you know, problems getting motivated to do the really difficult stuff, procrastinating about stuff, overthinking, perfectionism, the whole works. You know, I had the full set. Um, the way I see it is that my strategies were about creating order to deal with the chaos that was going on in my head. And, you know, I grew up in quite a chaotic home. Pretty certain my mum also had ADHD. Uh, we never had a completely tidy house. Um, and and I think all of us, the six of us, all of us have kind of moved away from the chaos that we grew up with. But for me in particular, it felt like it was absolutely essential because if I, if things get too chaotic, then I start to feel more panicky I start to feel overwhelmed which is like you know overwhelm is the adject the ADHD adjective isn't it really so 
I have to be I have to make sure that there's enough order in my life so that I don't feel overwhelmed without tipping into perfectionism. That's my daily challenging. And I always call myself a recovering perfectionist. So I love that. You, there's, there's kind of a whole group of people with ADHD, and this is not so well understood, who are what I call hyper-organized. So like you'd be shocked if you thought they had ADHD because their houses appear immaculate. You know, they seem to be managing their job well. But for most of them, if you dig below the surface, either in terms of looking in their cupboards or when you start to talk about the toll that that's taking, all of those coping strategies come at a cost. You know, there's more effort involved to be ADHD, uh, you know, even if you're passing for normal. In response to that, then, how do you manage with boredom? Because that is, you know, such an issue for people with ADHD. I like to call it the kryptonite. Um, mm. of ADHD <laughs> meal planning cleaning and birthdays I'm really bad at managing the whole birthday thing I think it's too complicated there's too many different steps to have to remember and we both my husband and I both come from very big families so um, we've got there's a lot of birthdays to remember many many birthdays yeah oh it exhausts me just thinking about it but I have worked quite hard over the years to deal with resistance, which I think is, you know, a big deal for ADHD. And I think it's, I face up to my resistance. I look it squarely in the eye and I sometimes talk to myself when I'm resisting something. I say, come on, Sarah, you can do this. Get on, get off your backside and go and do that thing that you're putting off. And I've learned to, first of all, recognise that resistance and um, and then find steps to deal with it. So like, for example, last week, um, I wanted to clean our patio slabs and I'd ordered this special chemical stuff to treat it. And I knew that I was resisting doing it and I knew why I was resisting doing it because I was a bit scared of the chemicals and I bought a suit and I bought, I've got some wellies and I planned it all out, but I was still a bit scared. And in the end, I just spoke to my husband and daughter and said, I'm really scared about this. Can you just be with me? while I do yeah. this and it wasn't that they had to do anything they were kind of body doubling with me so mm -hmm. they were they were there and I just got on and did it and it was fine you know once I'd done it once I could do it you know a million times but because I recognized the resistance and dealt with it um that's that's an example of of um you know the sort of strategy that I put into place what it sounds like from what you described it's like that that the coping strategy there is that the resistance to doing it but actually having a body there having someone mm. with you not necessarily doing something but just being yeah. present yeah was enough to help give you that motivation give you that sense of I can do this yeah absolutely um, which for um, you know for so many people with ADHD just that forward shift is such a yeah. big it, it 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 on the surface might seem quite small but actually it's it's what the difference between getting it done or not getting it done yeah yeah and i think for people with adhd first of all there's a challenge isn't there because you're you're asking for help or you're asking for somebody to be with you and people often say to me i couldn't do this if I, if you weren't here and then they feel a little bit bad about that they're like i should be able to do this you know without you uh, picking up on what you said which is about when you notice yourself kind of making what i call should statements mm. like oh i should be able to do this oh i should and i notice yeah. in myself when i'm going down that should route yeah that 
the resistance increases because yeah. the shoulds kind of feed it, if that yeah. makes sense. I don't know if that's the same for you. No, no, absolutely. And, and I, I feel the same way whenever I notice that I'm using the word should. I kind of, and actually Caroline, who we're going to meet soon, uh, was the person mm. who introduced me to, the, to questioning those shoulds and shifting them to coulds. And, you know, for which I'm very grateful because it, you know, really makes a difference. And there's so many shoulds in the ADHD world. And I think it's, you know, it's great to declutter those. If you're going to declutter anything, declutter the shoulds, first of all, and start stop being so hard on yourself. You know, being kind to yourself is just such a game changer with ADHD, starting to just accept this is who I am. This is the way I am. This is how I operate. How am I going to make the best of this? What, what strategies can I put in place that work for me that are going to help me manage life as well as I can manage it? And I guess mm. that's my journey, really. It's been my journey long before I knew what ADHD was. There's lots of hearsay and myths around ADHD. It's obviously becoming something that's talked about more, but I just wondered if there was anything that you'd love to debunk. The big thing is people think if you've got ADHD, you won't be able to focus on anything. So I think for me, that's the biggest myth of all. One of the things that I've learned is that brain studies on ADHD show that if you're interested, if a subject's um, what's called salient to you, if it's, if it's of interest to you, then your brain will operate while you're doing that job pretty normally. It will look quite similar to somebody without ADHD. But if you're doing something that you're not interested in, that's when our brains don't function nearly as well as somebody without ADHD. So that's the big difference, is that we've got what's called an interest-based brain. So, you know, mm. that, that's the big thing. So sometimes people look at somebody and they're like, look, you know, they're really, they've spent hours working on their car. How can they have ADHD? Because they've been focusing perfectly well for that. It's just an excuse. Why can't they do the laundry? You know, well, it's because they're not really engaged. And so like when I'm working with clients with ADHD, it's all about finding the route into engagement, finding the way to get motivated, finding the way to kickstart that process. I'd love you just to tell me a little bit about um, your friend Caroline, who we're going to be welcoming in in a moment. Um, why you picked Caroline and, and just a bit about her. Caroline is a very dear friend and colleague. So I met her at the very first uh, conference that I went to. APTO is the um, national association in the UK for professional organisers. And we kind of made this instant connection. We ended up sitting together all day. And by the end of the day, um, decided we were going to be accountability partners. She's basically, I think, made me a different professional organiser to who I would have been if I hadn't known her. Because of her experience and knowledge of uh, positive psychology, which she's introduced me to, it's, that's been a really formative, she's been a really formative influence on um, how I've used that learning with my clients. Um, you know, she stretches me, she encourages me, um, she educates me um, and she's a great friend. So, you know, that's Caroline. She's amazing. <laughs> I can see how much she means to you. Caroline, do you want to join the call now? I'm crying a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> what are we like? 
I don't know. Sarah, I think in that, that was one of the things that I loved about you, Sarah, was that within moments, not moments, but by the end of that very special day, we went for coffee and I remember you wept. And I just thought, yep, <laughs> I want her. <laughs> and actually, what, when listening to you talking just now, I was thinking about that word authentic, which I stopped using for a number of years because I thought everyone's using this wrong. And then I realised that the root of the word authentic is know thyself. And I think it was the fact that you know yourself so well that you are authentic that attracted me to you, that there was a kind of instant magnetic recognition of that. Alex, I'm so sorry that we're both so soppy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of sitting here. I'm I'm really moved. Um, <laughs> Don't you <I> start expecting... <laughs> too? <laughs> well, I I am a therapist, so I guess you're in safe hands. <laughs> um, Excellent. This isn't un- this isn't Good unusual for me. Um, what what I find so impactful though is the connection that you two have and how how much that means to you guys it, on multiple levels. You know, there's a friendship, a deep friendship here, but it's more than that, isn't it? Yeah, I would say so. Yes. What was your relationship like with her before she was diagnosed? And did anything change when she got the diagnosis? <laughs> like, what, 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 from someone who doesn't have ADHD, how did you experience that process? Well, I think, like most of the world, ADHD wasn't very much on my radar when I, until I met. Sarah um I think Sarah's changed subtly not radically I think I experience her as more grounded now post-diagnosis and with the meds as as well I remember Sarah telling me about one of the holidays you know rocking up without the suitcase it's a great story and it just made me love her more really and one of sarah's strap lines which um uh, is embrace imperfection and i i've always been very attracted to people who are flawed actually I, i i don't like and i think that quite often comes up in our industry that sort of slickness of this mm. of l decoration ready home and I don't know anyone who wants that, but I certainly think that aspiration and the shoulds, you know, that you should, you, you know, you should have a kitchen that's just surfaces, you know. Mm. No, who's the custodian of saying that? I just want everyone to know that Sarah's home is welcoming and beautiful and it's not perfect, but, yeah. it's, but it's, very, it's, it's very welcoming and... She does. You do have surfaces, though, don't you, darling, in the kitchen? (laughs) (laughs) Well, also in in our family, in our family, we are three out of five ADHD, and sometimes, sometimes uh, four out of six, depending on whether my son's girlfriend's around, who also has ADHD. So, you know, it's not possible for us to live in a perfect house. As someone who doesn't have ADHD, Karen, how did you make sense of Sarah's diagnosis? What, what was that like for you? And, and 
um, did you do any research or did you just go off what Sarah told you? Like, I, I noticed that as soon as he said, did you do any research? I immediately felt quite scared. Um, <laughs> I think I probably did read a couple of papers. But, um, and I, I've been on a- Sarah's ADHD training. I mean, I think all my learning about ADHD personally has probably come from Sarah. I remember years ago working with someone for the first time who'd outed himself on the phone that he possibly had ADHD, mentioning that to Sarah and Sarah saying to me, just remember that his experience will probably have been that he's been kind of told off all his life for not getting it right. And that was a a really beautiful piece of um, advice and learning for me to take to working with with that particular individual. But you asked you asked about sorry. Can you can you repeat the question? Uh, you repeat the <laughs> well, question? I, well <laughs> this, you don't even have ADHD. Well, I don't even know. No, but I've got my own set of foibles in in the way that we all have. <laughs> One of them is that I can't remember the question. I'm sorry. <laughs> it, it, we joke, you know, but actually, this is actually something that is I notice for myself is really challenging sometimes. This is why the name of the podcast is Sorry, What Was the Question? Yes. It's brilliant that you've actually asked this yeah. in the first yeah. episode. <laughs> oh, I, think, I think I remember being on a Zoom call where we were all invited to go and find three items in our home. And I remember Sarah putting something in the chat that was very witty. I can't remember what it was, but it was basically, <laughs> well, I'm not going to win that you know, because she'd already (laughs) forgotten what the three items were. Um, And it, yeah, I suppose I didn't do any research, particularly on on Sarah's behalf. I think if the boot had been on the other foot and if it had been the other way around, Sarah would have. Um, Sarah would would read up and that's I think one of the things that I really appreciate about her is that kind of hyper focusing that you do you know Mm. when that whole GDPR thing came out this is me was just like oh it'll be all right let's not worry (laughs) and Sarah was just in a sort of GDPR rabbit hole which which was actually very useful for Caroline (laughs) because then she told me what to do so I mean and actually I've got a bit of hyper-focus envy there because it isn't Mm. I mean it's it's not when you when you talk when the two of you talk about hyper-focus it's not that I don't understand what you're talking about it's just that I'm assuming that you do that more often than I yeah I think the thing about hyper-focus for people with ADHD is I think most people recognize when they get really into something people with ADHD find it really hard to get out of it at the other end yeah so I like say yeah the way I often describe it to clients is like it's like you've got a massive boulder in front of you so like you Caroline might have a smaller boulder in front of you and you can get it moving more easily and you can stop it more easily with somebody with ADHD it will take more effort to start that ball rolling in the first place and then how on earth are they going to stop it at the other end once it's got going and that's that's the challenge and you know that is definitely easier now I'm being treated for ADHD to sort of pull myself Mm. back out of that hyper focus is easier can be quite pathological so like in between 
uh, diagnosis and treatment, I spent months in lockdown hyper-focusing on some training I was doing and mm. ended up getting a frozen shoulder as a result. Yeah. I just spent literally so hours and hours sitting mm. at the desk, not recognising what my body was telling me mm. and not being able to pull myself out of it. Sometimes I get mm. my husband, I say, I'm going into the garden. If I don't come back, can you please come and pull me back in because it means I've, I'm, I'm going to go into hyper-focus and he will mm. come and rescue me. <laughs> mm. Yeah, my, my, my partner um, describes it as me going sometimes into a sort of black hole. She's mm. like, are you, go- are you going into one of these black holes? And I'm like, I think I, um, I, think I need to stop. <laughs> Otherwise, there's no turning back. Um, can you share with me, Caroline, just like the positive and the negative aspects of... Sarah having ADHD, particularly maybe working with her. I quite often come from this perspective that we we all think we're rubbish, we all have imposter syndrome, and we're all terribly hard on ourselves. But I've heard Sarah talking about how much she's worked on that side of herself and that she isn't that hard on herself now, are you? You're forgiving of yourself in a way that I think is admirable and good to be around are you crying no no i'm not i'm just i'm smiling to myself because i'm thinking i wonder if some people think i'm a bit slack now (laughs) because i'm too kind to myself some some people might be thinking from the outside oh she could do with improving that particular (laughs) thing it's interesting caroline that you kind of ask sarah are you crying because i was quite mindful throughout much of what you've been sharing Caroline about Sarah that it has been quite moving for, mm. for Sarah to hear um, and I a, I'm wondering if this might be the first time you're hearing this from Caroline Sarah but no B, uh, okay <laughs> <laughs> but but also like what's it like to hear it Caroline will know what's going to start me off. She knows that I'm quite weepy. In fact, most of my friends know that I, you know, this is part of the emotional dysregulation of ADHD, isn't it? I remember as a child being called a crybaby by my family, by people in my family. That was like the label that I got, if you like, because I would just cry really easily. And for Mm. years I saw it as a problem and and then you know gradually over time I've got a really lovely bunch of friends and they said to me you know this is just Sarah this is just who you are Mm. and it wasn't until I found out about emotional regulation and ADHD that I you know the penny dropped and I was like oh that's why I'm quite so in in terms of somebody will be telling me a really sad story about something that's happened to them and before I know it I'm crying and I'm like this is so inappropriate this this, (laughs) this is not about me this is about you but it's like I can't switch off those emotions I can't disengage and Caroline absolutely knows that about me and 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 I think she embraces it so I think I'm right in saying that aren't I Uh, absolutely and I think it was interesting hearing the both of you talking about like when Sarah when you were debunking and you were saying oh people you, you know I want people to stop thinking that I just need to eat properly or have been brought up better that mm. kind of thing and I think it's interesting that we this this thing about wanting to cure people of something mm, yeah I I don't know about you but actually that I wouldn't want to cure you of your ADHD I think it's it's it is you oh. you are it that it's it's wow it's part of your package mm. I 
I'm, I, I'm I think not sure I'm, we would have the relationship we have without mm. the idiosyncrasies, for want of a better, that's probably not the right term, but without the things that we bring. And you very mm. strongly bring your ADHD into that relationship. Mm. Yeah. Wow, that's really I'm, really, I'm really moved. I'm tearing up now. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're not even talking about me. Uh, no, but I think you do need to know that I don't get it right all the time. You, you know, mm. I, I don't. And there are times when there is, there's the classic trapeze day. So yeah. do, you want me, do you want to tell him about yeah. that? Yeah, no, you tell the story. You tell the story. Well, what happened was that... Um, Sarah and I decided that we were going to fly through the air with the greatest ease on a flying trapeze. <laughs> and it was a rig outside. And honestly, you could have got through like two verses of God Save the Gracious Queen in climbing up the ladder to get to the platform. And beforehand, there was this whole input on how to do this safely and competently and with joy and Sarah and I both received that very differently and uh, but but I was completely unaware of what was happening for Sarah so so he was going on about how you know once you'd gone off the platform you could do this thing with your legs and dangle down from your knees and I was thinking oh I won't do that I don't need to listen to that no worries and I looked around at Sarah and Sarah was crying in a public place yeah, and, and I know that we have so a propensity for Sarah to be crying, but she was crying. <laughs> and, um, and I went up to Sarah. So I speak as someone who would identify as someone who is quite an empath, quite kind, quite loving, you know, really works at seeing people for who they are. And I said to Sarah, don't worry, you don't have to climb up the big ladder and do it if you don't want to. It's fine. No one's going to judge you because I thought that was the empathic thing to say. Mm. Instead of what I could have said would have been, oh, sweetie, what, what's happening? And then what, if I'd said that, what Sarah would have said was, I don't think I can remember all those instructions. And that was why you were crying. Oh, I was panicking. So it wasn't fear. I was panicking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was, it was a working memory issue. And actually, if there was one thing I could fix, if I could wave a magic wand over one thing, it would be my working memory. Mm. Um, you mm. know, that would be great. I, I feel mm. like I could still be ADHD without my working memory problem. I'd be happy with all the rest. Mm. Um, but it's that working mm. memory problem that feels often the most disabling. Mm. But yeah, That's thank you. It's a really you. powerful image yeah. to be able to describe that memory situation that both of you experienced together, and it was such a different experience for mm. the two of you. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think we, as, as human beings, we need to remember that that two people can have exactly the same identical experience. I mean, even even like a, a highly traumatic one, and yet react respond to it in completely different ways and i do need you and your listeners to know that sarah did climb all the way up the ladder and you <laughs> did fly through the air with the greatest of ease you did <laughs> i did it hooray and, yeah and you looked magnificent <laughs> <laughs> we've got the video Cheering to prove it somewhere i think we have got some photos yeah 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 I think one thing about having a diagnosis that's changed is that I now feel able to say, like in a situation like that, I would feel able to say, 
I have ADHD and remembering lots of complicated instructions is difficult for me. Mm. And, and I think that kind of thing is useful for people to hear anyhow, because I'm not mm. going to be the only person who feels that way. Mm. And I think quite often the world is not cut out for people. It's not, it's not designed for people like us. Whether, whether you mention ADHD or not, it's just having the confidence that it's all right to not handle something has become easier since I've had the diagnosis. There might be other situations where I might mention the symptom without mentioning the diagnosis. Uh, you know, I think, I think the diagnosis is still so problematical, as I said, that, you know, even friends don't always react the way you want them to react. So I think it's quite a difficult thing to kind of disclose. You have to disclose with caution, I would say. Um, and knowing mm, that you can deal with whatever the outcome is. You know, I know that I told one particular group, a, a close group of friends, and one person said the, the immediate reaction was, well, if you've got ADHD, we've all got it. And, you know, this was a really close friend um, or somebody I'd considered mm. to be one of my closer friends. And actually, I came straight back and said, yeah, that was why I almost didn't post this. And... He came back and apologised actually straight away, and he said, oh, "I'm I'm sorry, you know, I hadn't I hadn't really thought about it." And but I think you know mm. it it just goes to show there's all these kind of misconceptions about ADHD. We don't know what other people's experience of ADHD mm. is, but I think there's also a power in disclosing because you know as we become yeah. more visible and people start to realise actually you can be a professional organiser and have ADHD, you can have a PhD and have ADHD. You can be a successful business person and have ADHD. You can be a struggling mum or dad and have ADHD. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's so many different... We are all different and people starting to see the diversity of this people group is what will break down some of the stereotypes. I mean, you've just kind of summed it up, really. I don't really feel like I have many other questions. I feel like we've covered so much and it's been so d deep um, and not how I expected it to go, but maybe that's what's so beautiful about these conversations and these three-way dialogues. But before we do wrap up, is there anything actually, but Caroline, um, that you haven't shared that you think you'd like to share before we finish? If ever you were to send me a birthday card or text me on my birthday, I'd, I'd probably worry. Have I really never managed it? I don't think you That's have, so but funny. you know, you're not alone in that, lovely. I mean, you know, <laughs> it, it, I think that, that for me, one of the biggest things about this conversation is this whole thing about being seen. Mm. and um so thank you for letting me see you sarah mm. thank you both of you for your honesty and what you have brought today um it's we've all been crying um <laughs> it's been really moving but also more than that it's just been so helpful to hear your story sarah um or at least a bit of your story, yeah. and um, and also hear Caroline from you your experience of it um, from your from your perspective. I look forward to hearing more actually from what you two get up to, <laughs> whether it's a deprise <laughs> or a, <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> thank you, Alex. Mm, thank you. Really appreciate yeah, you. having the time with mm, you. Me too. You can get in touch with Sarah via her decluttering website, freeyourspace.co.uk. She has some great ADHD resources on there, as well as a right to choose step-by-step guide for those of you in England who may be interested in this route to getting a possible diagnosis. You can follow this podcast and all updates on future episodes on Instagram at ADHDpodcast.fm. The show was hosted and produced by me, Alex Campbell, and the interview took place remotely via Riverside FM. All audio editing and theme music was created by the incredible composer, Andrew Swarbrick. And finally, to all the ADHDers and those around them, remember, each one of us is different, but one thing that is true, each one of us is wonderfully made. And so, my friend, are you. Until next time. <laughs>